0: We are in our last week of the series called Starting Strong. And what we've been talking about is the early church and what it looks like to have a gathering of people. Church, the Greek word for church is ekklesia and all it means is gathering. Okay, it's just uh, a gathering. What happens when you take a gathering, a church... And you inject the Holy Spirit into it. What are some of the things that are possible with a group of people who are being, uh, the Bible says, led by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible also says to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. What does it look like when you have a group of obedient people listening to God and then acting the way God is asking them to act? And that's what we've been talking about all this time. The other thing we've been talking about is that when that happens to the church, to the gathering, um, it will look different than the primary culture that that church is in most often. That, that in keeping in step with the Spirit, in a gathering that's infused with the Holy Spirit, it's going to look different than the culture that we're in. And so this morning, we're going to look at um, a a specific time that Paul w- was engaging in the culture, when he was um, sharing the gospel in the culture he was in. Now, what I want to accomplish this morning is two things. We're going to be talking about idols, okay? from Paul's in Athens right now uh, in our particular uh, time of scripture. He's in Athens, and he, he sees a lot of idols. And so my hope is twofold. One, that you will uh, leave here, and if you're a follower of Jesus, that you will be looking for opportunities to share your story. You will see from the example Paul sets of how do we share our story in a culture that might not necessarily be on the same page that we're at. And so I'm I'm hoping that you will leave here with your eyes wide open for looking for opportunities or maybe just even recognizing opportunities that maybe God has put you in where you can share your faith. And and, and I'm going to show you, hopefully, by the end of this morning... Uh, that you can do that naturally. It doesn't have to be like your beads of sweat. You know, you like flop sweat every time you, you, you bring it up. There's a natural way to share your faith. And so that's one of the things I'm hoping. The second thing I'm hoping to do is to open your eyes a little bit to this idea of idols. That we, while we look at this in, in the uh, New Testament... And we hear Paul talking about idols. We think in terms of actual idols, like a little Buddha or a little thing made of gold or silver or whatever that that they worship. But an idol is basically just anything in your life that you're trying to serve in order to get meaning and purpose out of life. And so for some of us, our idol is money. Our idol is material. We work and work and work and work and work to get as much money as we can. Because we think that when we get enough money, we'll have enough security and then everything will be okay. And that is in direct contradiction with the word of God. That it's actually Jesus that provides that security, that calm, and that peace. Now, along with every other idol I'm going to be mentioning this morning, the flip side is also true. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of money. There's nothing wrong with money. Money is just our ability to make life easier for us. It's not a, anything evil. If you make a lot of money, God bless you. That's great. It's when that thing becomes the thing, the main thing. For some people, even our own bodies become an idol. We're working out and we're stressing about uh, all these things. But in the end... I hate to break it to you, we're all going to die, okay? Like the death rate in America is 100%. Every, everybody dies, okay? And so at some point, you, you, you could only work so hard at, at that, okay? And so, so your health can become an idol. Even your kids can become an idol. That you can be so focused on your kids and so worried about how, how they're going to do in school and what, how, are they going to make the honor roll? And are they going to uh, be in the, uh, you know, make club soccer gold you know, all this kind of stuff. That you get so wrapped up in your kids, they can actually become an idol. I don't think parents ever become an idol, but I'll just, uh, but, but kids. Power can become an idol. You can want to keep climbing and climbing and climbing until you're the, you're the main head honcho. You're the boss. That doesn't necessarily mean, again, that that's bad. It doesn't mean putting your kids in sports is bad. It's when it becomes the thing. When you are looking to fill a hole or fill a void in your life because um, through something else other than a relationship with God, and so um, so those are the two things we're going to be talking about. What hints can we get from Paul, and how he was able to talk to some various people that were completely outside of his uh, normal culture? And then, two, can we identify some of the um, areas in our life where we might be forming idols? Okay, it's interesting. Um, even pastors, um, their churches can become an idol. That, that, that everything about the church is, is uh, they're happy or they're sad, depending on how the church is going. And, uh, and so it's, it's common all, for all of us. Okay, let's look at Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now, why would Paul care about Athens? He's not from there, okay? He's not, he doesn't live there. He's just visiting there. Why would he be greatly distressed? And this Greek word for greatly distressed means, he, it was like gut-wrenching. It like bothered him. Now, it could be that Paul, you know, is, is, is sad that, you know, Athens isn't the way it was, you know, make Athens great again. You know, it's like, I remember Athens when there wasn't all these idols, and we got to get it back to, you know, the way, the way it was. But this isn't the concept. The concept is kind of like Jesus. One time Jesus was walking around and it said he just was filled with compassion. Like again, this movement in your bowels. Because you looked out over the crowds and he saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is the idea that's happening with Paul. Paul's looking at these idols knowing full well it doesn't work to serve God idols. If you're working and working and working to get that promotion because you want to be recognized as someone important, it doesn't work. It might work for a little bit, but it doesn't work. If you feel like you have to get married or uh, you should have stayed single, whatever the thing was, it just, and you're, you're going after those things, it, they don't satisfy they just for a little bit. So Paul looks at these things and he just, it's just like hitting them. So what does he do? What do you do when you get into that situation and you're just like, man, maybe, maybe this happens at work or at school where you're looking at somebody across the cubicle from you or across the desk from you and they're living their life in such a way and you just know it's not going to work out. Maybe you have a friend who's in a relationship, and you're like, oh man, you've got to get out of that relationship. It doesn't work. This is where Paul is. So what does he do? So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happen to be here, be there. One of the first things we can talk about as we talk about sharing our faith is just being prepared. prepared. Now, when I talk about sharing my faith, I'm not talking about trying to convince someone to become a Christian or to accept Jesus. That, that hopefully is how it ends up. It's all I'm doing is sharing my story. It is my story. I'm not trying to argue, convince, or whatever. I'm just telling you my story. And so if I come across someone, which I do all the time, and they're living their life in such a way that I know it leads to destruction... Uh, I just start by sharing my story. I know exactly where you're coming from. I feel the same way. I feel helpless too. But I've found that every time I turn to Jesus, every time I commit this concern to him, I have a peace that, has, that surpasses all comprehension. I can't explain it to you, but this is what my relationship with Jesus is like. And this is why I try to order my entire life around following him. It's just that simple. And so Paul's doing this. He's doing it in the synagogue. He's doing it in the marketplace. And we're going to see that he ends up in academia doing it with uh, highly educated individuals. It's just knowing your story well enough and knowing Jesus well enough to be able to share what difference he's made in your life. And the cool thing about it is you don't even have to have arrived yet. You can share your story even in the very beginning. I, I know people who share their story. They, they've just started coming to church, and they start telling their coworkers, I just started going to church. I don't know why. I just like it there, <laughs> right? And that's it. And they're like, well, what about this? What books of the Bible? I, I don't know anything. I'm just telling you, I, I, I'm, just, I'm sensing something from God. That's the st- it's the same thing, just sharing your story. I wanted to point out something I forgot to point out. Uh, Back in verse 16, it says, while he was waiting in Athens, he was waiting for Silas and Timothy. But what Paul was doing was not wasting any time. The environment that he was in, he was engaged in. And so you might be in an environment at work and your only goal is to get out of that job, okay? But while you're there, the Holy Spirit might want you to be doing some things. You might be at school, and you're just like, I want to just take the GED and get out of here, okay? I want to just, I'd like to drop out of school. I want to go to trade school. I, I get it. I totally get it. But while you're there, while you're waiting, God might have you talk. God might have you do something. God might have you serve someone in the spot you're in. You might be in a marriage right now that you're just, you're just, Wondering how is it all going to work together? I mean, It just seems like it's all crumbling up apart. But while you're there in it, the Holy Spirit might have something for you. We talked about this last week when we talked about trials and tribulation and how God never wastes any of that pain, that he uses it all. And so he goes and he, he, he decides, since he's in Athens and, and he notices all these idols, he might as well... Uh, reason in the synagogue with Jews and God-fearing Greeks, and, as well as in the marketplace. Well, in the process of that, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? I just love that. That's great. A babbler. I need to use that word more often. Uh, others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign go- uh, gods. And so uh, basically, the Epicurean philosophers, what they believed, uh, they didn't necessarily believe in the gods like the, like the Greeks did, um, but they believed in pleasure. They believed in trying to remove anything in your life that causes discomfort. So anything that was a, distra- um, a, a discomfort or uh, difficulty was evil. So we would call the Epicureans Americans. Okay, just, just as comfortable as I can possibly make life. That is the goal of the Epicurean philosophers. The Stoics, they believed actually in a God, but it was a pantheistic God. God is everywhere. And, um, and, and they also believed in fatalism. Like, so God's cool. He's out there everywhere, but it, everything's been wound up. And so fate is really the only thing you have to worry about. And so this is who uh, comes up and starts talking to uh, Paul. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Now, some of you uh, are here and you might not even believe in God or the Bible or Jesus or what have you. You're here because someone invited you and then said they were going to take you uh, for, out for pizza afterwards And so you're like, well, ah, what the heck I, I'm, I know I'm going to be hungry anyway And so that's that's why you're here And you're probably wondering Why can't Paul just believe What he believes About Jesus And let the people from Athens Believe what they believe About Zeus and Apollos And all that kind of stuff And just kind of keep it to yourself Why Why does he feel compelled To share the thing Why can't I, I believe what I believe, and you believe what you believe, and have a nice day. Totally get it, and it makes a lot of sense. Unless the person who believes one thing, I'm going to say believes a lot of, uh, in this next section, the one person who believes one thing believes it's bad for the other person to believe what they believe. Let me give you an example. I told you there's a lot of beliefs. It, it was raining, obviously, today, and you guys made it here. You're all brave champions. Um, all the other people who are in bed right now, they are, God is going to be so angry. I can't even tell you. <laughs> I don't even know what's happening to them right now. No. Um, so two things happen in Southern California when it rains. One is, everyone loses their ability to drive. Uh, it, I don't know what happens, if it's just the moisture or something happens in the brain, but they either go too fast and run into things, or they crawl down to 10 miles an hour. And when you take those two extremes and you throw them all together on the street, there's just lots of accidents. The other thing that happens every year is that somebody decides to body surf down one of the aqueducts. Okay? And they, they, they think it's going to be fun. They believe, they believe that it would be fun to... Go into the aqueduct and kind of be carried down a little ways and then climb out. And that's their belief. And we usually pull one or two people out um, uh, at the end of their belief cycle and, uh, ev- every year. Now let's say I'm at the aqueduct and you're at the aqueduct and you believe it would be fun to go into the aqueduct, go down for about half a mile and climb out. And that's your belief. And I believe you're going to die. Why can't I just keep it to myself and just watch you go, go into the currents, get carried off, get tangled up in something, have the water take over and you die? And I go, I knew it. I totally saw that coming. Totally saw that coming. Right? The the, the, the thing that if I actually believe they're going to die, I have to tell them that. Now, I may be wrong. They might be Michael Phelps, and they're swimming the opposite way, okay? And I, I might be wrong, but I'm compelled to say that is not going to work for you. In the same way, as I'm watching people's lives unfold before me, and I'm watching my own life that is filled with trials and troubles just like anyone else, but I've got this anchor in Jesus. I have experienced his grace. I know that his word is true. And if I would just humble myself to follow it, then he's going to be there for me. I have an obligation to share with the person who wants to serve an idol like money or relationships or their kids or sex or whatever. I have an obligation to say, listen. You can believe what you want, and I'm not trying to tell you you're stupid or anything. I just tell you what, I'm just going to tell you what I believe. That is not going to work for you in the long run. And so that's why Paul, when he sees the idols and his, he's stressed out about it, and he sees all the people and they're worshiping worthless things, this is why he has to start going around into the synagogue in the marketplace, and this is why uh, he gets... Uh, mixed up with these epicurean and stoic philosophers he was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection he was actually preaching the gospel and the gospel is essentially this that God created you and he created me in order to have a relationship with him but through sin and our broken nature we are separated from him And so we need to have that sin paid for. And it was paid for by Jesus dying on the cross. And the reason we know it was paid for is because on the third day, he rose again. This is why the resurrection is so important. It was the power by which he broke the chains of sin and death. And so this is what Paul is preaching. He's preaching against the idols and about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to the meeting of the um, Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is, uh, is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. Now, the Areopagus... Uh, was a hill, and they would have these council meetings on this hill, oftentimes called Mars Hill. And um, as a matter of fact, this was the very hill in which Socrates, in 400 and something BC, had to um, give his case. He was tried and put to death. Uh, But this was the hill. And this was not this group, but there was another council where they'd go and they'd talk about these... Philosophical things. So they bring him to this place, to this hill, where they can uh, hear what he has to say. Now listen, listen if this doesn't sound like today's culture. You're bringing strange ideas to our ears. We would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Right? It was Facebook before Facebook. It's like awesome. It's like they had social media, right, before. They got Instagram and all that stuff. Now, now listen, I am totally down with all that. I have all those things. Twitter, everything. Snapchat, uh, trap, chat, chat, and chat. I got all the chats. Every chat you can imagine. But that can become an idol. The quest for information, and I I don't know if you've ever felt it. I've totally felt it. Where I'm, I'm, I'm just, I have this like, insatiable need to gather information like i think it's going to make me someone different and so i'm on facebook or i'm on the internet or i'm learning about this or learning about that that can become an idol facebook can become an idol when it starts when we start to try to get stuff out of it that we're supposed to be getting from our uh, from god so whether it's i'm going to post awesome things about myself, so you think I'm great, that's, an, that's idol worship. If it's, I'm going to go find out about someone and see, look at their, you know, Thanksgiving to see that mine's better, that's idol. I'm going to look at somebody and see what they did about this and I'm going to judge them for what they write and post and all this kind of stuff. That's, that's idolatry. All that stuff is handled through a relationship with Jesus. And so this is what these Epicureans and Stoic philosophers were doing. Matter of fact, I'm going to put, oh, by the way, Uh, I I was joking about the Facebook thing. I really apologize if that was, okay. Um, So all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. I wonder how they made any money. Anyway, um, then Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. This is such a great way to begin the conversation. I see that you're very... He's making an observation about their culture. This is not a judgment against them. And it's not... Um, you might look at that and think, Oh, he's buttering them up before he gives them you know, the good news. That's not what's happening. As a matter of fact, that was frowned upon. If you were at the council of the Areopagus, you were not supposed to like say, Oh, and by the way, that, that's a nice robe you're wearing or, or what have you. You just start your case. And so he starts with this observation. You're very religious. That's all he's doing is observing. And it's a great way when I share my story about my, the way Jesus has changed my life, I usually start with an observation with the person I'm talking about. Just about how they're, hey, I noticed you're really stressed out about money a lot. What's going on? And that's it. And so that's what he does. He goes, I notice that I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully, again, someone who wants to be able to share their story needs to understand the context in which they're sharing it. If you're a business person and you're at a business meeting or you're an athlete and you're in the locker room or whatever, there's different contexts that God has placed us all in for all different reasons. If you work in a warehouse, if you're a teacher, whatever, these are all contexts and we have to be fully aware of the context we're in. The other thing we have to be fully aware is, are we allowing the culture's idols to become our own idols? Are we so comfortable in the culture that we lose our ability to notice the things that Paul is noticing here? as I walked around, I looked very carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. And this is his in, this is his way to be able to share the gospel in the perfect context of where he was at. He says, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. That to us sounds like he's mocking them or um, he's attacking them. It's Actually not. He's just saying, you you just don't know this unknown God. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to introduce you to him. He says, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. And he starts out, and this is one of the reasons why we sang indescribable this morning, because um, oftentimes uh, this is your first exposure to God is through creation, through his creation. That that nature declares the glory of the Lord. All these things. And so this is how Paul starts out. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. In other words, the God I'm about to introduce to you is different than you could actually imagine. It's going to be hard to swallow because it's hard to even get your mind around a God of the universe wanting to have a relationship with you. It's a tough one. He says, everything in it, uh, the, the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does, uh, and does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything. The, uh, uh, in Athens, the Greek gods, they were very petty. They would um, get their feelings hurt. One of the reasons why they had an altar to the unknown God is because they were afraid they might miss a God, and they wanted to cover their bases, just in case that God came down and said, hey, where's my altar? And you're like, oh, Uh, that's the unknown God one, you know, okay, that that was their idea, and so he says, they're not served by human hands, as if he needed anything, rather, he himself gives everyone life, and breath, and everything else, and he talks about Jesus, he says, from one man, he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history, and the boundaries of their lands, God did this so that they would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He's not far from any one of us. Paul makes this incredible case that it's right there in front of you. (laughs) That God is right there if you would just reach out for Him. And time and time again, in my own life too, I will turn to the idol and I'll worship the idol going, come on, you can do this. I just need this thing or this relationship or this. If I could just have that, everything would be okay. And meanwhile, God is right there going, that doesn't work, trust me. And so Paul's trying to say, listen, the God who created the universe, for you stoic pantheists, um, he, he's not just out there in, 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 um, in everything. And for those Epicureans, for you guys, it's not just pleasure and the next thing and being comfortable and getting rid of dis, uh, discomfort. He's right there saying, come after me. Jesus said it, he's, just follow me. And so he says, he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And then um, Paul uses this great example for us. He says, as some of your own poets uh, have said. So now Paul knows this culture so well. He knows what poets they listen to. And he quotes this one poet, Aratus, who um, actually wrote a whole bunch of different things, but we don't have copies of any of them except this poem. This poem where he says, we are his offspring. Now the poem, what was interesting about the poem, you can read it if you want, was that the Eratus was talking about, the poem's called The Phenomena, and he was talking about Zeus, Paul just like rips this one phrase out and applies it to God. Now we're not Zeus's offspring. We're God's offspring. And so he quotes their own, their own stuff. He says, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In other words, when you worship those things, you're not worshiping God. You're worshiping yourself. And he says, In the past, God overlooked such such, uh, ignorance. And those things in quotations are mine. He said this in Lystra. He almost said the exact same thing right before they picked up stones to kill him. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone. Now, Paul begins the, the difficult part of sharing the story of God, that in fact, at one point, God will judge. That's one of his titles. And so he will look at our lives. He will look at us and say, okay, what did you do with the life I gave you? And so he, he's bringing this up. Now, they don't, they're not bothered by that. That kind of language, uh, especially in America, is makes people get real like freaked out. Like, are you preaching fire and brimstone? With them, this was typical language for their gods. They, they expected the gods to come down and rain fire when they got upset. And So this idea of judgment didn't bother them as much as it bothers us. But then he says... He's given proof of this to everyone. Now, what could be the proof that God wants to make this relationship right with us? What, what would be the proof of that? Here's what he says. By raising him from the dead. The reason Easter is so important is because without the resurrection, we've got nothing We have nothing. Jesus was just a good man. He was just a dude who went around and I don't know how he healed people. Maybe maybe he was ahead of his time. (laughs) Well, whatever. With the resurrection, that's, that's the king. That's the power of God over sin and death. This means that that sacrifice, that atonement for us, has the power to truly do that. That if we reach out to Jesus... And we do what Paul's saying, to repent, to say, I'm sorry for the way I've handled my life. And you know what, I, I just want, I want to turn from these idols, I want to turn from these things that are bringing me stress and, and difficulty, and I'm going to follow you. I'm going to reach out, and he's right there. Now, it's funny, because they, they weren't bothered by um, Paul saying that God made the earth, they weren't bothered by the fact that Paul said God's going to judge you. Okay, they weren't bothered by that. The resurrection—that—that's what gets them. Watch what happens when they heard about the resurrection of the dead. Some of them sneered, like, "Oh, brother," you know. I, you know, this would be an eye roll right here. Uh, but others said, "We want to hear you again on that on this subject." So, what's fascinating to me is. The writer of Acts, Luke, doesn't say whether or not this was a successful speech or not. Because always, when we share our stories, it's not up to our ability to share our story. It's not up to like, we don't drive away going, oh, I forgot to tell them about hell. Ah, you know, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't work that way. When you share your story, you are, what the Bible says, keeping in step with the Spirit. And the Spirit does all that stuff. It happens the other way, too. I've had times uh, where I've been sharing my story, and uh, I'm like, that was an outright disaster. That was, I did everything wrong. And a couple days later, the person will call me and go, man, remember when you said this? And I'm like, No. <laughs> That really, that really got to me. Like, wow, because I thought it was a terrible story, you know. It, it happens both ways. It's not our job to convince people. It's our job to share our story and to re- make sure our lives aren't us chasing after idols because then our story becomes irrelevant. So they say, I want to hear you again on the subject. So at that, Paul left the council some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was uh, Dionysius, a member of the, Are- God, the Areopagus. I hate Athenians. Gosh. Also a woman named Damaris and a number of others. Uh, as Adwoa comes up, I want to challenge us to do a couple of things in, during this time of reflection. The first is to look at your life. Where are you? Who's your family? What neighborhood are you in? What what place of business? What school, for those of you who are going to school? What, What family environment? Does the Holy Spirit want to open your eyes up just a little bit more to see what might be going on around you where you need to step in and share your story with a coworker? And and, and again, I'm not saying you have to do it in a way that just completely like you, it makes you nervous or whatever. It's just understanding the cultures we're all in. Various cultures, the cultures cultures you are in, and then how to tie those things in with your story. Maybe for some of you the first thing that needs to happen before you share any bit of your story is to work on some of these idols of rejecting some of these idols maybe there's been some areas in your life that you've kind of given over to an idol to something that you think is going to find meaning and purpose you think it's going to help but you kind of in the back of your mind know it's not going to work and maybe for you, that's where all your energy goes. You just say, you know what, I'm not sharing my story. I, I, gotta, I, I gotta get a handle on this. And so maybe for you, it's an, it's an area of idol worship. For others, um, you might be in a situation where the actual environment you're in is hindering you from your story. And you need the courage to just get out of that situation. It was interesting, after they, everyone said, well, I, I, some of them liked what Paul said, and some of them don't. He, he left the council. He was fine. He's going to go on someplace else, and guess what he's going to do? He's going to share his, his story.